This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. We love, plus we're going to debate whether Kyle Busch did anything wrong when he addressed the media after the Coke 600. And the Indy 500 winner, Takuma Sato, is going to join us, show us his winner's bling. Hey, everybody, Carol Amano, Parker Quigam with you. We are joined from NBC Charlotte by Jeff Burton and Greg Biffle. Uh, let's start with Austin Dillon, Jeff. How much pressure was taken off of the 26-year-old with that big win this weekend? Well, I think a certain amount of pressure for sure. And I think some pressure off of RCR. You know, yeah. RCR has been in a situation where they haven't really had much success. Now they have two cars uh, in the playoffs, most likely this year. So uh, I think driving that three car. But mainly, any young driver needs to have success at some point or they're not going to continue to have that ride. So uh, having success uh, certainly takes some pressure off for Austin. I agree. It's, it's you know... That's such a confidence and a confidence builder for the, the entire team and that driver to, to be able to win. Now you feel like, okay, we can do this. And then the wins come more frequently. And, you know, it's always that breakthrough. It's always that very first one. I remember what it was like to win my first win, and uh, they're very, very special. I uh, sent him a text and congratulated him, and, and it, was a, it was a special time. And, Greg, I think back to when I've raced Austin in the truck series, in the Xfinity series, where he became a champ in both series. I knew he had the talent to compete in the Cup series. But getting that first win not only validates it for him, but it validates it for his team and his sponsors and everyone who makes that three car get around the racetrack. Well, the Coke 600 not only producing a first-time winner also caused a very significant shakeup in the season standings. We'll show that to you now. Parton Truex Jr. taking over the lead in the Cup Series standings. Kyle Larson falling one spot to second. Both Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch jumping up a couple of spots while Chase Elliott fell three spots to seven. And as we continue to move down the standings here, you can see RCR teammates Ryan Newman, Austin Dillon outside the top 16. However, since both of those drivers do have those wins, they are currently in the playoffs. After Charlotte, Richard Childress took the time to reflect on the win and also what it meant to the history of the number three car. I know Dale's up there smiling down because uh, he would he'd want to he'd want this win. He'd want to see it with Austin. I didn't want to put just anyone in the three car. I would have probably never brought it back. Can you believe this? The Coke 600, Austin Dillon, and the three. When I really got emotional was when I looked up and seen the three on top of the board, and I was standing there doing an interview, that's when I got emotional. It's so special to see that three in winter circle again. 
I'm just so proud of all the effort that all these guys put in. I really feel like I have the best team and the best pit crew, and I have no doubt in them. And my grandfather has done everything he can to give us the best we, we've, we can get. And um, sometimes I feel like we're the small team out there trying to get everything we can. And um, tonight proved that 600-mile race, when it came down to it, we had everything we needed. It just feels amazing and a lot of special things going on and just happy. So it seems like all is right in the world of Austin Dillon for now. Did you know that before he embarked on his racing career, Dillon actually a pretty good baseball player, even competed in the Little League World Series back in 2002. And as a driver, he is one of just three drivers to win titles in both the Xfinity and the Camping World Truck Series. That is one of the other drivers on a short list, Greg Biffle among them. So, Greg, you have RCR with two drivers in the playoffs, with Dillon and Newman. You have Roush that has a driver in the playoffs with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. What does that tell you about about where these organizations are right now? You know, I think it just surprises uh, some of us to see, you know, we weren't, ex- you know, these guys win races and, and these teams are, have run much better this year. But I don't think that we all expected to see these guys win. You know, we expected to see the Gibbs guys come out and win a bunch of races. Now we're talking about those guys, what's wrong with them? And it's exciting to see that three car. I'm with Richard. It's, it's exciting to look up in the top and see the three back up at the top on the leaderboard. And uh, it's exciting for these teams to be experiencing this right now because these wins are hard to get, and now they have two of them. I can tell you who it's not exciting for. That's the teams that haven't won. Right. And you start looking at uh, putting two RCR cars in the field, putting a Roush car in the field. These are not teams that have been performing well enough as far as speed uh, to race their way in. They've been very, very smart uh, Roush won it at a yep. super super speedway. These guys, uh, the two children's cars, great fuel strategy, great idea on what they did. They won the races. But now you have teams that are making faster lap time than these are that are in scrambling. Uh, if you look at the way points are paid today, you can't go to Richmond a lot of points back. I mean, you, you, you have so many opportunities to get further behind right. with points. So uh, the pressure is stepped up for all these teams because of – these wins, and, and the, they're going to have to deliver now. The opportunity is there to deliver because you get stage points. There's a way to get more points. But I can tell you right now, there's a lot of teams feeling the pressure because of the success of these three teams. Absolutely. That's a huge storyline moving forward. But as you consider RCR and what they've done so far this season already, what does it mean to have the young driver, the face of the organization, in Austin Dillon be among those two that are already in the playoffs? Well, it's absolutely massive. And you kind of mentioned it there because he is the young face of this organization. It's not to put Paul Menard down, but if he were to go out there and get this win and be one of the two drivers they have in the playoffs, that's not quite the same when you're trying to look at the future of Richard Childress Racing. In Austin Dillon, Dylan is the future of this organization. And it goes further than just getting the win and being in the playoffs. This is a team that's trying to use Austin Dillon with his social media savvy to go to sponsors and say that he's connecting with a fan fan base. He's building his own fan base. He's becoming a superstar in his own right. That's what sells sponsors. That's what allows them to go out there and get the funding needed to make the race cars go faster, which can allow them to compete when they get to the playoffs. These are the things, the building blocks that drive Richard Childress racing forward. So getting Austin Dylan in the playoffs, getting him that win, all those things add up in a huge amount for Richard Childress Racing to go out there and be able to compete at the high level they need to be to go out there and get it, go against Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Team Penske. Parker, that's a great point. And what happens is when you go through a time where you have uh, not a lot of wins, not a lot of success, 
now what you're doing is you're selling what you did. If you're going to move it forward, you have to sell what you can do. You have to sell what you are doing. You can get by for a period of time selling your past, but sponsors want to be part of something that can contend for championships, that can contend for wins, that are going to see their name on TV. They're going to have internal enthusiasm because of the success. And, and when you have Richard Childress racing now with two cars most likely in the playoffs, that builds momentum. That builds into something that will work for them next year. If you continue to not have success and you continue to have to find a way to bring sponsors in be, that doesn't include performance. When you add performance to it, it makes it that much uh, less difficult. So it's still difficult to sell sponsorship, but it's way better when you can sell performance. And I'm going to tell you, Paul Menard is certainly capable of winning at this level as well. I raced with Paul a lot over the last few years, and, and he's in those same cars, and it would not surprise me you know, if, if he gets an opportunity, given the right situation like we saw with Austin Dillon, that he can't put that car in victory lane and potentially have all of his cars in there. That would really be something heading into the playoffs. There are not that many spots left. Uh, coming up next, over four-plus hours of racing, producing a lot of chatter among the teams on Sunday night. Not all of it was friendly. We're going to eavesdrop on everything with Scandal Charlotte. That's next. Winning one of NASCAR's biggest events comes with perks, of course. Today, Austin Dillon ringing the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange as part of the celebration for his win in Sunday's Coca-Cola 600. Richard Childress doing a nice job with the mallet there as well. Dillon wouldn't have gone to victory lane if not for the fuel strategy that was implemented by his crew chief, Justin Alexander. But what did he say to Austin before making that crucial call? Let's find out on today's edition of Scan All Charlotte. 600 miles. NASCAR's longest race is a torture test on both men and machine. Guys, I worked your off. I appreciate it. No, I'll do the same at night. Try to get us a win here. It would be huge. Let's get ready to rock and roll. They fired the engines. They're about to roll, and the party is about to get started in the 58th running of the Coca-Cola 600. Hi, right, buddy. Here we go. We've got a long night. Track's going to change a lot. We're going to keep up with it, man. Fight hard in there. Be safe, man. We'll see you at 400. We're on our feet for our troops tonight. It's time to race the 600. The green flag is waving. Side by side out of turn four. Here come Harvick and Kyle Busch. Do you think there was one left to go instead of 399 as this raging fight for the lead continues? You and 18, still there even, dead even. Five back to the rest of them. You got a little smoke coming out of us right here. Smoke does about to go. Smoke here all. Keep running our brain to you. Clint Boyer in the 14. He got blocked like hell. 
That's a pretty stupid quarter way through the race. Kyle Larson slid up the racetrack, and Jimmy Johnson nearly ran into the back of him. Well, how big is that 42 spotter? Fairly small, sir. I'm tired of him driving me into the fence when he passes me. Brett, you see any rain? Uh, yeah, right behind me. The rain has arrived here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I think now would be an appropriate time for a jet dryer joke. <laughs> yeah, why not? How many cars does it take to take out a jet dryer? Just one. Just one. <laughs> the red flag, one hour, 39 minutes. Cars are back out on the racetrack. We're ready to go back to green flag action. We got small fish time here. I think we blew a transmission or something. I don't know. Now we got a car spinning over here. It's Kevin Harvick. Oh, that was oil. I think I'm okay. Out of me when you see that one. Oh, I saw it. I was riding along. My butt was puckered up. Watch the 13 spoken here on the racetrack. Nice save right there. Holy cow, man. That was lucky, 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 lucky. Go, Mango. Go, Mango. Go, go, go. Crew chief on the 77. I cannot wait to pay him back for this. Yep. I can't wait to have a conversation with Canals when he's done here. I realize he's seven time, but he's about to kiss me off for the last time. It all comes around, buddy. It all comes around. Just remember that. He picked the stall. He's got nobody against. He can back the damn car up. Well, you know what we do then? We'll get ahead of him, and we'll stop real short. He's got my blood pressure up. You're about to have to calm me down. Martin Truex Jr. in firm command of this race. We're looking at numbers right now, man. Probably going to be four or five short. Everybody is doing an awesome job. Just keep it up, man. And here comes the leader, Martin Truex Jr. He's going to take four tires. He stops happening with 32 laps to go. I said we are going to try to make it. We are going to try to make it. 48 the leader. We are P2. All right, the three-car Jimmy is 3.8 seconds back. That's the car we have to stay ahead of. 16 laps to go this time by. 78 car has already pitted, making up about a second a lap on us. Racing that 18 behind us, too, here. We'll P3 right now. There's a lot there, but let's start with what was happening between Chris Gale and Chad Canals. 
a little bit of back and forth there about pit lane. Yeah, a lot of times we hear the drivers going to each other. But this time we got the crew chiefs. And I think it's important to understand exactly what was making Chad Knauss so upset. So a lot of times on pit road, once you've picked your pit stalls, when you have two cars that are running in similar positions like the 48 and the 77, there's a gentleman's agreement where the, the 77 is going to try and go further into their pit box. You see there that he's not even all the way up to the mark that they've set in the pit box. And that angers the 48 because then they get stuck in the box when they've gone to their appropriate spot that they've deemed where they need to put that car when they stop. So then they keep trying to back themselves up. But when the 77 doesn't go forward, it continually congests themselves on pit road. and makes it harder for them to get out. What you heard on the radio there, though, is the most interesting part to me at least, and that is that a lot of the teams are scanning each other. So you heard Chad Knauss and Chris Gale sort of passively, aggressively calling each other out, knowing that they were listening to each other's radios. And I think, you know, this is where that tension starts to rise. And, and really, a lot of times when you're in this situation, it takes simply the 77 going a little further in their box and the 48 going a little shorter in their box, and everyone can get in and out pit road all right. But just quickly, so is that Chris Gale that's telling the driver to stay towards the back end of the box, or is that driver error a little bit really just not kind of getting where they're supposed to be? So it's a great question. It's a kind of a combination. A lot of times what we will do in the pits is that you have a pit board that you go to hit, and you know with you hit it with your nose, that's where they want you to be in the box. So in this situation the crew, the crew chief will come on the radio and say hey we're going to move the pit sign just hit the sign and if you do that then you should be further enough in your box but you see here the 77 doesn't go all the way in he has kind of an awkward angle trying to get around the 48 and therefore it continually congests the 48 trying to get out and there's another thing to note here which is where you're running position wise on the track with the 48 being further up than the 77 He's at the point in his pit stop when the 77 is coming in where he's trying to leave, and that even further congests things. So it's all these little factors that add up, but really it comes down in that position, and in my opinion, to the 77 just going further in their box and allowing both to have enough room. Jeff, what's your opinion? Well, I think Parker's right. I think that the 77 was short. Uh, I also think, also think Parker's right that it was kind of fun to hear them banter back and forth. <laughs> they were pitted right yeah. next to each other and talking to each other on their own radios because they know each other's scanning. So, uh, listen, it is a race from the time they dropped the green flag to the time they dropped the checkered, not just on the racetrack, it's on pit road. Uh, I've been in that situation before. Buddy Parrott was my crew chief. And, and Todd Parrott was Dale Jarrett's crew chief. And Todd Parrott came down on my pit box one night yelling at his dad about how I was pitting. And his dad told him he's going to kick his, you know, if he didn't get off his pit box. So <laughs> this goes, you know, this goes beyond just cruising. That night it was father and son going at it. So it's not unusual to see these things happening on pit road. And a lot of times as drivers, we know it's sort of driver etiquette, okay? I know I'm pitted in front of the 48 car. I know the 48 car is running third. I'm running 15th so i know that when i stop in the box that he's going to be leaving a lot before i'm done and so i'm going to stop that car deep in the box i'm going to try and get in there and you know leave my lane to get out so it's sort of on the driver as well as pulling in hitting the sign and and especially if you're going to do what I, I think i picked up that he was going to do some work on the car and so now you know you're going to be sitting in the pit box for an extended period of time you're not racing anyone out. And so 
you know, kind of good etiquette would be get out of his way, stop. You're going to be the last car in the lead lap or something to that effect. So these are all things that, that go on on pit road. The, the other thing that happens is when you're pitting, you're also paying attention to who, what's happening in front of you. So if you're Eric Jones, uh, he really didn't have anybody pitting in front of him because whoever was in that box was a lap down. So that enables him to go further into that box without getting blocked when it's very difficult is the guy that, you know, if, if the guy in front of you, if he's coming in after you, yeah. now that gets really difficult. And at that point, it's self-survival. If you're going to block the 48, you just block the 48, and you do what you got to do so you can get out. So the situations uh, change based on what's going on around you. So you've got a rookie in front of a seven-time champ. So you want to make sure that you follow the etiquette, I'm sure. We heard a little bit from Kyle Busch at the very end of that scandal, but he was not done after his in-car audio. Coming up next, we're going to relive Kyle Busch's very short but very memorable press conference in Charlotte and also the widespread reaction that it has generated our experts debate whether his actions were fair or foul when we come back. I'm going to answer with the same answer, so... Y'all can shoot if y'all please. I'm here so I won't get fined. Say Russell and the team is having play well. Don't say when Russell goes out, the team don't play well. It don't matter. We in this together. That may that may be Russell, but I asked Steven a question. And it's, it's a legitimate question. You. Next question. It's a legitimate question. Next question. It was funny. It was funny? Yeah. Well, you know what? You're probably beat up in the bus stop most of the time. I think so, huh? <laughs> Come on, man. You've been doing this long enough. Seriously, right? People expand upon that. The very latest clip to be added to the highlight reel of Surly Sports press conferences coming early Monday morning at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Second place finisher Kyle Busch terse when asked about Austin Dillon's fuel strategy. Okay, we'll open it up uh, our post race press conference of the Coca Cola 600 with the runner up, Kyle Busch. Um, with this late hour, deadlines, I'll just open it up for any questions for Kyle. Any questions for Kyle? We'll go over here to Bob. Bob Packers, ESPN. Were you surprised that Austin could stretch it on fuel? And then, I mean, what does it mean, do you think, for Austin to get his first win? I'm not surprised about anything. Congratulations. <clears throat> any other questions for Kyle? Up in the press box. All right, Kyle, thanks for your time. All right, so here's the latest on this. Last night, Brad Keselowski, who's had a well-documented rivalry with Bush, reacting to his press conference on social media. Not sure how or when hating losing got defined in this manner, but I'm pretty sure it's the wrong way. I don't know, maybe I should keep my mouth shut, but I was taught to hate losing by working harder next time, not by being disrespectful to others. So we want to hear at home what you think. You can vote on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR vote. You can tweet at us at NASCAR on NBC. Let us know which side of the fence you stand on this. And we also welcome in Nate Ryan to the conversation who was at this press conference. I'm just going to start with a thought here based on what I was thinking when Brad Keselowski tweeted that, that the notion that someone is especially competitive or fiery has become an excuse for being petulant and disrespectful has been thrown around in this discussion, particularly as it relates to some of these NASCAR drivers. And I think that that is ridiculous. Um, Jeff, I'll open up the floor to you as we start as we start this discussion. 
Well, Carolyn, tell us what you think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, uh, so uh, here's the bottom line. If you're, if you're a Kyle Busch fan, then what you say is, hey, that's my guy. Like, he shows his passion. He shows how much he wants to win. He shows how much he hates to lose. If you don't like Kyle Busch, you're saying, see, there he is. I told you. He's a brat. That guy, he's no good. We had this same conversation. We're in Charlotte, North Carolina. We had this same conversation about Cam Newton. Uh, you know, around the whole world. Is Cam Newton a brat? Is he a great competitor? What is he? The bottom line is they, they hate to lose. Uh, when they lose, they don't do a good job of containing themselves and, and just, you know, kind of giving the answer that everybody expects them to give. And then when they do give that answer everybody expects them to give, everybody gets mad at them because they don't show their personality. So in some cases, it's hard to win. Uh, it isn't the best look for Kyle Busch. There's no question about that. Uh, he's not a... You know, he's not a whiner. He's not a guy that doesn't work hard. He's not a guy that doesn't put everything into his career. Uh, he's not a guy that takes things for granted. He's a hard worker and a fierce competitor, but it's not a good look. There's no question about that. Well, speaking of football, I'm sure none of us would be surprised, Jeff, to learn that Carolyn once covered Bill Belichick. Uh, hence, perhaps, her view on this. I would agree with her that I don't want to come off as a Kyle Busch apologist. I mean, if, if you're expecting grace and dignity from, from a champion, you, you didn't get that from Kyle Busch. And when he has bad results that is often what you get you get that petulant side of him however i will say that he sat there and waited out his media bill building we all had a chance to ask him you know, if, if i could do it again i would raise my hand and said look kyle you, you seem upset why i mean it, he didn't get asked that question and that's on the media now did he handle himself well not particularly in this instance but I, I think that he at least met his obligations. It's different than, say, when I covered Tony Stewart, Tony Stewart had more of an adversarial relationship where I felt like he was had a chip on his shoulder and it was about us versus them, uh, them being the media. With Kyle Busch, I always just feel, Greg, as if he's just in a bad mood and he's not trying to prove a point other than, like, hey, I'll sit here and answer your questions, but I'm not going to be your puppet, basically. Right. And, and I, you know, there's, a, there's an analogy that, that I use that a lot of people look at it differently. They're like, it's just a game. It's just a sport. You shouldn't be that upset. But think about this for a second, okay? You work all season, all year, test, do all these things, and you race 36 times. So if, if everybody, you know, took their job and were graded on only 36 times a year out of all the hard work you've put in and, and your project gets flushed or whatever happens, you're going to be upset. And, and that's the point I'm trying to make. I'm not defending what he did. Certainly, it was disrespectful, I agree. But people don't understand how much emotion and how much effort goes into it. It's not just a race for us to, for people to sit back on the couch and, and watch and, and critique. You know, it, this is a serious game. But that kind of you know, attitude and disrespect really is doesn't have its place either. But this is the kind, Greg. This is the kind of stuff that I've been hearing all week. Is like, well, we work so hard. We've got all this races. I mean, Jimmy Johnson's working just as hard. Martin Truex Jr.'s working just as hard. They had an opportunity to win those races, and I hear everybody saying, well, they work so hard. They're so competitive, but. It's also not acceptable. It's like, no, it, it, Jeff, it's just, it's not acceptable. How can you justify well, what Cameron, Kyle Busch did? It's not acceptable to you, but that doesn't mean it's not acceptable to someone else. So Is it acceptable you, to me, you? If you if, Is it acceptable me, to you? I can promise you, it's not how I behaved. 
It's not how I tried to conduct myself, but that doesn't mean I was that that I served the 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 sport 100% the way I always should have either. I'm not being a Kyle Bush apologist either, but I do believe that he could have handled it in a much better fashion, and he did in post race by his car. He was right. he was great. Right. He handled it really well. As time wore on, and he, and he I think that that pass. And again, I'm not being a Kyle Busch apologist, but I think that that pass that he made on Jimmy Johnson on the outside he off turn was four for the win. was for the right. win. Yeah, right. and by the way, it was a hell of a pass. That was, was a hell of a move. But 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 <laughs> ultimately, it all started to crash down on him, and it didn't. It, he did not present himself well. And I'm not saying he did, but t- w- what Greg said is right. You know. When you drive a race car and you do it at the level that Kyle Busch does it, you, you put the, the effort into it, it's your life. And I know people have a hard time believing that, and, and, and everybody talks about their family and all that, but in the heat of the battle, your entire world revolves around that performance. And that's why people lose it. That's why Chad Canals, two crew chiefs yelling at each other, they're not going to do that in everyday life. Right. But when competition's on the line, you do things that you don't otherwise do. It brings out the worst in you. It brings out the best in you. In this case, it brought out the worst in Kyle Busch. But it's because the passion, the desire, the dedication, and I promise you, it feels like the world's coming down when you don't win a race you thought you had a chance to. And, Jeff, you mentioned not serving the sport the right way, but if you look at our poll right now on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR vote, almost 70% of the fans out there voting have a problem or have an issue with how he handled this press conference. And I guess that's the broader question. But the, the thing is, and from my point of view, is, and you kind of alluded to this, is this is Kyle Busch. This is what you know you're going to get from him. And I would refer to Nate here. Nate, you've been in these media centers before. When he's come in there angry, you sat there and didn't ask him that follow-up question. Was it because you saw that action, that reaction he had to Bob Pockers' question and thought, you know what? I'm not going to get anything usable out of this. I know exactly where he's going here. Is that what's going to happen? Or is this, was it just that you felt like that's all we needed from him? I, in, in this case, Parker, was I just, I just lunched. I, I mean, I, I should have asked the question, and I didn't. I mean, it's on me. I'm as, I'm as culpable and complicit as anybody else in that room. I feel like the question should have been asked, and it wasn't. Um, but, you know, to go back to Carolyn's point, I, I, I don't want – all of these guys to be the same and i'm okay with kyle bush blowing us off i and my job as a journalist is not to take any of it personally is just to report the story and and the facts and if one guy chooses to be graceful and dignified which by the way both of these guys my left and right were whenever i interviewed them they're always very accommodating that's great and that's part of the story but if there are guys such as kyle bush such as tony stewart who are perhaps less than accommodating at times, that's okay because it takes all sorts of people to make the world go around. And NASCAR is more interesting because you have many different personalities. I don't want everybody to be Jimmy Johnson. I certainly don't want everybody to be Tony Stewart. It would make my job a lot harder. But to have one or two of those types of personalities in NASCAR is terrific because right. I think that's what draws people in. Well, so, Nate, so, so no, Karen, no, Karen. no, this is the second problem I have with this, though, Nate, is that yes. everyone is saying we don't want everybody to be vanilla. We don't want everybody to have have the same personality that's okay that's fine michael jordan muhammad ali all the greats that you think about when you think about in sports were these big effusive personalities and they had their moments because they're human beings and you're allowed to have a rough press conference and you're allowed to feel the competition in your veins as you get into a press conference but what about a guy that's a repeat offender like this who's just being rude 
Well, like Parker said, though, Carolyn, it's the essence of who he is, and there are ramifications for that, the repercussions for that, and Kyle Busch has to live with this. A toddler throws a temper tantrum because that's who he is. I mean, it doesn't mean that they don't need to be disciplined. Well, yes, but I I think the discipline comes in other ways for Kyle Busch. I mean, he's he's never going to be the most popular driver, although I think if you overlaid our our, our fan poll results with most popular driver voting, they would probably sync up, like, fairly accurately. He has a lot of fans who like that side of him, and that's okay. Like, I think it's okay. I mean, I've heard Jeff Burton say this before. NASCAR needs villains as much yeah. as it needs heroes, right? Well, I, I think NASCAR needs personalities. And, I, and, and, Carolyn, what you're saying is, hey, it needs good personalities. It need, it doesn't need uh, people that come across the way that Kyle came across. Because, again, that was that's not a good look for Kyle Busch, it, no. it, without a doubt. I don't think and anybody, he has to deal with the consequences. That's correct. Yeah. I don't think anybody's saying that it's a good look. But, but at the end of the day, the sport is about passion. It is about if you if you look at Kyle Busch's face, if you look at his body expressions, if you look at him exhale, it was like his world was coming to an end. And I that's the passion that this sport is driven by. You have to have that passion to be successful. Now sometimes with that passion, you're going to have things that come out like we saw on Sunday. You're going to have things that come out that wasn't good. Remember, one of the biggest moments in the sport were two adults fighting in the grass at Daytona. Was that a good look? I mean, is that what is that what you want people to act like on an everyday occurrence? You want people to, you know, at the stoplight, hey, I'm going to kick your, you know, get out and fight? No. But it was one of NASCAR's biggest moments for three grown men to be swinging a helmet at each other, to be to be fighting. It was one of the, the defining moments of NASCAR. You don't behave in competition the way that you behave in everyday life. It's a split personality. I know that's difficult for people to understand. If you behave the way you have to compete, when you put that helmet on, you have to be self-serving. You have to be selfish. You have to care about you and your team and to hell with everybody else. That's how you have to be. If you live your life like that, no one's coming to your funeral. And he wasn't wearing but that a helmet. Is not, but but, he, he but Karen, he just got out of the race car. Who cares? Get a glass of I water. Care. Get a glass well, of water and calm down. You're not wearing a helmet anymore. We also behavior, saw that, Karen, just in your defense. Hold on, Jeff. We just saw a tweet that came up from Pete Pistone from SiriusXM NASCAR just now who's agreeing with Carolyn, who's also saying that there's no excuse for this in any profession. But I, I want to go a little step further just to, to bring in social media in this. I think the other thing when we talk about how this helps the sport or can get the sport, the conversation of the sport going, think about all that's going on in social media. Think about Pete Pistone reaching out right there right now and, re- and saying that he agrees with you. There's a conversation right now. This drives the conversation. It drives social media. It brings people into the conversation that necessarily might, be not, might not be talking about NASCAR on this Tuesday. Jeff, what about the notion, just to switch gears on the next layer on this, that all these drivers have been really outspoken about whether they agree with what Kyle Busch did and whether they yeah. don't? So, so I, I find that, I find that <laughs> really that. interesting that a, a, any driver will off will off track make comment about something that happened off track about another driver. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, asking for trouble so to speak you know like you you know if 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 i if i said something post-race not about another driver okay if i said something about greg i would fully expect greg to come back with a response but if i said something that had nothing to do with greg and greg came back with this response publicly about what i said greg and i gonna have a problem <laughs> you know stay out of my business right and so uh i found i find that really really interesting that other drivers would comment 
about. I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but there's a ram- as you said, yeah. uh, there's a ramification for that as well. Yeah, leave your problems to the racetrack. Not don't create don't create them away from it for for something else. I'll just say that like NASCAR Twitter felt a little bit like high school the last couple of days. Very <laughs> sanctimonious. <laughs> You know, people shaming other people, and I yeah. mean, to me, maybe it's just a reflection of real. Was it all just little like, uh, <laughs> what do you call it when you use letters instead of full words? What do you call? It? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the way. Emojis and everything. Listen, you can't, social, you can't have it both ways. We live in a social media world right now. That's all there is to it. We'll talk about this more a little bit later in the show. So stay with us for that. In the meantime, the poll did even up a little bit, but sixty-one percent on NBCSports.com/slash NASCAR vote say that they do have some issue with the way that he handled that press conference. Could so 61% be any issue. are not Cowboys fans and 39% are. I mean, you let this poll run for Maybe a little bit longer and it might get to 50-50. I don't know. <laughs> we'll hit it again. We'll hit it again at the end of the show. we got to take a quick break, though. Coming up, uh, we are going to go through the field to find out which other drivers are on the verge of turning things around. Who should still be worried? And we're also going to be joined by the man who kissed the bricks on Sunday, Indy 500 winner Takuma Sato, joining us to talk about his incredible victory. You don't want to miss that next. Tempers flared in Charlotte with plenty of action both on and off the track. But at the end of it all, it was Austin Dillon who earned his first win in the Cup Series and the number three team returned to victory lane. It was the biggest weekend overall in motorsports. Fans all over the world focused on three historic and unique races. And for a look back, we relinquished the mic and handed off to the newly elected NASCAR Hall of Famer, Ken Squire. Memorial Day. A celebration like no other, tinged in the warmth of remembrance. They are remembered in not one, nor two, but three spectacular events featuring the brave and the bright. Start your engines. Let's go! It waves! The European version, the ultimate in sophisticated racing machinery, leads off the day in Monaco, drivers vying for a world championship. At Monaco, one misstep on the brake pedal, one miscue can spell the difference between winner and vanquished. There are three sporting events, bullfighting, mountain climbing, and auto racing. The rest are all children's games, said Hemingway. This is another group, 33 strong, as dedicated, as desirous of perfection in the human endeavor, Their names are part of the sports history. Foyt, the Arizona Cowboy, Jimmy Bryan, Bill Vukovic, the mad Russian out of Fresno, California, who in attempting to win the Indianapolis 500 three years in a row, lost his life, 1955. Sports heroes all. Radio broadcaster Sid Collins said that Indy was the greatest spectacle in sports. It's hard to argue with that. Record speeds again this year. Did he do it? Did he do it? Yes, he did! Dixon's average speed, 232.164. And finally, the 600-miler that ends this day here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it came of age in North Carolina red clay after World War II and gave racing a different look. Some say more of a country look. Pearson, Petty, Yarborough, Earnhardt. And it reached out here in Charlotte, North Carolina and began a new tradition. 
every driver in the field this evening is honor bound. From the beginning, this has always been a war against fear and reason, overcoming and simply grasping a checkered flag as a matter of personal history. For many years, they have all defied death, and in all cases, these heroes comprise this memorial weekend field. They face the odds not only to win, but in our world to survive. Each driver must attempt to carve out the perfect race, the perfect lap, and outdo all the others. Memorial Day, a celebration like no other. And Sunday's Indy 500 had everything a race fan could want. In the end, one driver standing above all and becoming the first of his nation to kiss the bricks. Indy 500 champion Takuma Sato joining us next. This past Sunday, history made in the 101st edition of the Indy 500. making history by becoming the first driver from Japan to win the Indy 500. We're so happy to have him joining us now from New York. Had you heard that radio call yet of you winning? Oh, this was <laughs> this was a little bit embarrassing. That uh, I was screaming on the helmet too, but uh, it's so <laughs> nice to hear the commentator was screaming too. So it's so funny. <laughs> what have the last few days or hours really been like for you? Um... It's just a significant moment in my life, and the winning Indy 500 is just an absolutely amazing uh, experience, and uh, what an outstanding job for the absolute team effort for the uh, Andretti Autosport. And since then, three hours sleep every night, and the last 48 hours just non-stop media work, so it's a bit of, um, how can I say, knocked in a feeling, but I'm still pumped up for the adrenaline, and I'm very, very happy. Can you show us the ring? That you're wearing? Oh. We saw that before yeah. the interview started. Very nice. Yeah, thank you. This is uh, this is unexpected because usually the winning ring you, you, you'll be presented for the for the following year, but uh, they uh, they they made it for this year as, um, at the uh, winners circle. So I'm very very happy. So cool. Right after when you dedicated it to the people that are still recovering from the deadly tsunami that hit Japan back in 2011, what's the response been like so far back home? It's response is like amazing. It's just uh, going crazy in, in in a good manner, of course. That uh, you know, I was personally, of course, happy to achieve the uh, such an, an achievement, but also I'm very happy for the country, for the Japan, because I also running the With You Japan charity program, which is uh, supporting a case from the devastated area. So, like you mentioned, Japan has been suffering quite a lot. Uh, still, 250,000 people living out uh, temporary house even today. So, it's definitely this kind of international news is helping and accelerate the support.
Incredible. Well, Takuma, I want to talk back about your F1 days. I was a big fan of yours for your aggressive driving style, but you're never able to get in a car that allowed you to contend for wins or a championship. Does winning the Indy 500 kind of make up for that success you didn't quite have it? Maybe you wanted to in F1. I believe, yeah, this is a fantastic opportunity for me. To driving on an Andretti Autosports car is absolutely an honor. And Michael gave me a great opportunity this year. And I've got to finally had a great environment and a team, absolutely fantastic team. It's very competitive. We show how tremendously our strengths was up on the highest level at Indy 500 and two nights ago. And the rest of the season, for sure, we compete as much as we could and uh, try to challenge for the championship. Championship title. What was going through your mind when you were battling Elio Castroneves, the three-time winner, over those very final laps? I love it. You know, I love uh, the racing with Helio because uh, Helio is the man to beat uh, in, in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And uh, he's obviously hungry you know, go for the fourth winning for himself. But, uh, you know, driving Penske cars, Helio Castroneves, is such a privilege to, to race with him. But I've got a great tool. You know, I've got uh, the, the fantastic team, Andre the old sports on be, behind. And um, I was confident and very comfortable in the car, so I was able to commit 100%. Recently, in the 500s, a lot of reader change because uh, the toe effect is massive in, in current air configuration. I experienced in four years ago in 2012 with Darian Franchitti, and that day didn't work out for me quite well, but they, um, you know, that's really good lesson, and uh, I had a visual imagination quite a lot, and this time I pulled it out um, okay. You mentioned that crash in 2012. Earlier in this race, though, Scott Dixon, the pole winner, had a very scary crash. How do you see those crashes and be able to focus again on what you need to do to go out there and get the win and be able to get yourself back in the frame of mind of going as fast as possible? It is uh, not an easy thing, and uh, we were all heavily concerned about uh, the Dixie's uh, condition because at that time it was just only monocoque left and just debris all over the place. Fortunately, he was uh, out of the car by himself and uh, no one really seriously hurt. So that was uh, a great uh, relief, and that shows uh, how IndyCars uh, uh, did develop There's so much safety about it, and not only for the, for the car, but also safety barrier catch fence. But uh, it, it is concerning for the open cockpit racing if the worst-case scenario, bad angle, it could hurt a little bit. Yeah, it's been a major topic of discussion. Of course, there's no rest for you anytime soon. The season's going to resume just this weekend. You have a doubleheader in Detroit. How do you work now to keep yourself focused on that championship and then also deal with all of the obligations and the lack of sleep that comes with being the Indy 500 champion? Well, I mean, I have to figure it out because uh, this is a, this is a happiest moment. It's definitely significant uh, the moment in my life, and uh, I really happy and enjoy it and so appreciate you know the people supporting me this make it this happen so uh, i am now i think a third championship point so uh, this is a great chance to to challenge for the championship contender well we loved hearing your reaction in the car when you won congratulations best of luck the rest of the way thank you very much so great to see him make history this weekend. Coming up, we're going to go through the field at Charlotte and see which drivers caught our attention and who is on the verge of something big. That's next. All right, let's go through the field now. Austin Dillon's been the big story of the week. Who else has caught your attention? Greg, let's start with you. Well, Dale Jr. with the top ten. I mean, it's uh, that team has really struggled this year. 
And uh, it's good to see him back on track. And, and you need some small milestones to build on, you know, that success. And so they were finally able to close the deal. And, and I think it's uh, that's great for that team. Yeah, you know, the team I, I thought did a really good job uh, all weekend long was Kurt Busch and his team. They, they really have not performed as well as the teammates have. Uh, on this weekend, they did. They ran well all night. Never had a winning car, but they, they, they ran well, had good speed. And that's the beginning of finding more speed in which you can win with. Uh, so I thought they had a really good weekend. The other, the other driver that I thought had a really good weekend was Eric Jones. Uh, Eric Jones is... Uh, proven to me to be the kind of driver that's going to mash the throttle. Yep. He's going to hit some stuff from time to time, but he's going to be wide open in the throttle. And I think coming home with a top 10 uh, is really good for him. I think his maturity level uh, is going to continue to grow. And you have to remember, he has not raced a lot. I mean, he came into this sport very young without a tremendous amount of experience, especially with these heavy cars on these long races. So he's learned how to manage these long races, and I, I thought the 600 went really, really well for him. And, Jeff, one other thing to add on Eric Jones, just been impressive about his season and how he consistently has gotten better and been able to run up front. And actually this weekend was the first top ten for both furniture row racing cars. But that, that team started this year. A lot of those guys on that team had never worked together till February at Daytona. So he's not only a rookie driver working with a crew chief who's doing the cup series for the first time but many guys are all working together for the first time so this has been incredibly impressive for eric jones to go out there and show that speed but then also harness that speed and get good finishes go to the longest race of the season the coca-cola 600 and get a top 10 and be on the heels of his teammate who was up there looking like he could win the race he's learning from his teammate and that's what you want to see from a rookie but on the opposite side of the rookie spectrum is his main competitor who's locked in a titanic battle with him, and that is his teammate from the Xfinity Series last year, Daniel Suarez, who also had a great Coca-Cola 600. And it really started for him back a, couple, a week ago at the Open. When he won that third stage at the Open, holding off Chase Elliott, as you see here, he's going to get a little bump from Chase Elliott. You see that action there? He was able to hold him off and win that third stage to get into the All-Star race. And I think that was a huge moment for Daniel Suarez to come to the Cup Series and go against a guy who's already been here for a while and actually hold him off and beat him and get himself with the best of the best in the All-Star race. That was really impressive. And we've seen him go out there and maybe not be the fastest at the beginner race, maybe not even in the middle of a race, but he finds a way to grind out finishes. And this past weekend, I know 11th place doesn't seem that impressive, but for a rookie who's hot on the heels of Eric Jones, only 10 points back right now with both these drivers being top 20 in points, this was a very impressive run from him in a very long race. And I think these two are going to show us a great rookie of the year battle throughout the season. You just can't help but be impressed with what he's done. You know, Parker, you point out a good, uh, a good thing is th these drivers don't have a lot of experience. And, you, you know, you talk about a brand-new team and all that. And, and then being put into Suarez, being put into that situation, what, in January? Had no idea he was cup racing and finishes, you know, almost in the top 10 in the Coca-Cola 600. So he's learning very, very fast. He has no choice. He has to. And he is doing that. So, you know, kudos to that team. And, Greg, you know, you've, you've come from uh, Xfinity Series, Truck Series, and even run cup. It's a different ballgame. Oh, yeah. The competition level uh, goes through the roof. Uh, you have to learn how to run 600 miles instead of 300 miles. I can remember running the Coca-Cola 600, getting halfway through and saying, okay, that's the Xfinity race. 
I got another one to run before I get to the end. And so you have to learn how to manage that. And it's difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. Uh, with Eric Jones, he and Daniel Suarez, I think, have taken two different approaches. I think Eric Jones, is he's in the, he's in the throttle. He's digging all the time. Daniel, he's a little more reserved, taking his time a little bit. But they're, like Parker said, they're having similar results doing it completely different ways. Yeah, this rookie battle is still very much up in the air, it seems, at this point in the season. Uh, when we come back, we are going to crank up the scanners. We're going to listen in to all the radio chatter that took place on Sunday at Charlotte. Scan all next. NASCAR America is brought to you by Allstate Motorcycle Insurance. Are you in good hands? Welcome back, everybody. Plenty was said late Sunday into Monday morning at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So let's revisit all 600 miles of the Coke 600. Let's scan all Charlotte. 600 miles. NASCAR's longest race is a torture test on both men and machines. Guys, I worked your off. I appreciate it. No, I'll do the same at night. Try to get us a win here would be huge. Let's get ready to rock and roll. Step forward, step forward, boys. They fired the engines, they're about to roll, and the party is about to get started in the 58th running of the Coca-Cola 600. All right, buddy, here we go. We've got a long night. Track's going to change a lot. We're going to keep up with it, man. Fight hard in there. Be safe, man. We'll see you in 400. We're on our feet for our troops tonight. It's time to race the 600. The green flag is waving. Side by side, out of turn four. Here come Harvick and Kyle Busch. Do you think there was one left to go instead of 399 as this raging fight for the lead continues? You and 18, still there even, dead even. Five back to the rest of them. Got a little smoke coming out of us right here. Something's about to go. Smoke here, all. Keep running or bring it to you. Coming, blowing up off a four. No caution. Three wide middle. Three wide middle. Still in the... Watch the front of Up. 
especially over 600 miles. Coming up, our 50 states and 50 shows taking us to Ohio. We're going to show you how the state links both winners from this weekend. Ryan Blaney and Austin Dillon next on NASCAR America. Welcome back, everybody. Last Saturday, Ryan Blaney scored the victory in the Xfinity Series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And in doing so, he made some history. Together, Ryan and his father, Dave, became the first father-son duo to win in the Xfinity Series at Charlotte. His dad's win taking place back in 2006. And the Blaney's hail from the state of Ohio. And that is where the My Home Track 50 States and 50 Shows Tour takes us today. The Buckeye State has produced some of racing's best including the captain, Roger Penske, crew chief, Adam Stevens. And today's feature track is Midvale Speedway. That is located about 35 miles south of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. It's a three-tenths of a mile bullring. It opened back in 1953. And since 2010, it's been owned by the husband and wife team of Randy and Sue Smith. Sue actually lost a two-year battle with breast cancer back in February. 
but the family has persevered in her absence. In April, her son Bryant won a late model feature in her honor, while her other son Bubba followed suit with a victory over the weekend. And Midvale, currently an asphalt track that had originally opened on dirt. Austin Dillon knows about winning on dirt in Ohio. In 2013, he won the inaugural Truck Series race at Tony Stewart's Eldora Speedway. The Truck Series going to return there in July. And tomorrow, the My Home Track Tour bringing us to the home state of football great Troy Aikman, who actually owned a NASCAR team several years ago. The next stop is Oklahoma. That's tomorrow. Troy Aikman, not really remembered for causing controversy during postgame interviews. He may have had a moment or two, but the same really cannot be said for Kyle Busch. Up next, we will relive the antics from Sunday night, which have caused quite a stir, and also examine the fallout in the NASCAR garage. Our experts weighing in again when we come back. aren't very good at holding air. Kyle Busch battling for the third spot with Joey Logano. Bush now spinning in turn four. Slides out of turn number four. What a wild finish here. Kyle Busch walked over to the 22 car and threw a haymaker that landed on Joey Logano's chin. Utter chaos down here on pit road. I got dumped. Flat out just drove straight in the corner and wrecked. That's how Joey races, so he's going to get it. Everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. Looking forward to getting back into my car. Good luck. Thank you. Stenhouse gets in the bush, and he gets his lap back. <laughs> 17. You know, when you got the leader to your outside and you just keep banging him off the corner, I mean, that's pretty disrespectful. You know, it's going to come back and bite you one of these days. Race car drivers are like elephants. They remember everything. They called us for commitment line violation. Show me the video. I was underneath the 22. Well, they're going to call it however they want. I just called that one. Kyle, any chance we can talk to you about that uh, pit violation there? Balls and strikes. Talladega, Alabama. Kyle Busch is third. You know, we go to a real racetrack next week and, and try to win there. Kyle Busch, second place finish tonight. Oh! Oh, damn it! You guys are better. Damn it! Were you surprised that Austin could stretch it on fuel? And I'm not surprised about anything. Congratulations. All right, Kyle. Thanks for your time. Listen, it's nothing if not entertaining. It makes that journalists is. tougher. Here's what Brad Kozlowski said one more time uh, after what went down over the weekend. Not sure how or when Hayden losing got defined in this manner, but I'm pretty sure it's the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe I should keep my mouth shut, but I was taught to hate losing by working harder next time, not by being disrespectful to others. That did generate a response from Toyota Vice President and Technical Director Andy Graves. He replied, I agree with you, Kozlowski. You should have kept your mouth shut. And Brad responded with respectfully agree to disagree. All the best to you and yours. So, Nate, was this some of the high school stuff that you were referring to I, earlier? I, I think that might qualify, uh, Carol. Right. That, that might be in that category. But, but I, I just want to say, like, just watching that, that video montage and seeing all of those highlights or lowlights, as they might be for Kyle Busch from the 2017 season, that to me is a reminder of why Kyle Busch is the lightning rod of the Cup Series currently. Whether you love him or you hate, you hate him, you're going to react to him. And I, everything we just saw there explains why. And I think that if you looked at social media after the race early Monday morning, there was a lot more discussion about Kyle Busch's news conference than the race itself. And I think that's just a fact that yeah. this is a guy who just generates discussion even when he's not the winner of the race. 
Listen, I'm not. I, I'm not going. <laughs> Nate to, said it, I guess. Well, no, well, no. It's true. It's true. It, it made headlines everywhere, and I am not going to justify his behavior in any way. I think we've made that clear. But Parker, you did bring up something, which was that the first question that he was asked in that press conference was not about what happened to him. It was about what happened with Austin Dillon and the fuel strategy down the stretch, and that may have been a trigger point for why he responded the way that he did. Well, yes, because I think when you see what happened there, what proceeded, he lost the race, he has to walk over the media center, he walks by Victory Lane, potentially sees the three-car there, and then you get to the media center, and the first question that's asked is nothing about Kyle Busch's race, nothing about his race team, his race car. It was commenting on the winner who he just lost to, and I think that's, you know, it makes me wonder, what if he was asked about himself? What if he was asked, hey, Kyle, could you have done that strategy? Could you have stretched the fuel that far? When you passed Martin Truex, did you think you had the win? That sort of thing. I just wonder if that question, if it was more about Kyle Busch and his race and his performance, if you would have had a different result. I agree, Parker. And here's the thing. Drivers don't like to be, and this is directed towards you guys, right? Drivers don't <laughs> like to be asked about other drivers' performance or, or whatever else, you know? And, and Parker just, I didn't think about it until Parker put it in that context. He goes in there, sits down, and they're like, hey, what about the three car? And, you know, and he's like, all right, well, what about me? What about my car? And, and you know, I mean, it could have triggered him, you know, to get that response. Yeah, I mean, ultimately what made him mad was that he didn't win. Yeah. That too. In that case, the question might and, not have mattered. And, and, Greg, and, Greg, drivers are professionals, and they should just behave professionally, right? They, they should, and he didn't. And, you know, he wanted to win that race. He thought he had that race won. The guys are running out of gas. And at the end of the day, uh, I, I do agree with Parker brought up a great point is he went in there to sit down and talk about his race. He didn't go in there and sit down and talk about the threes race and their strategy. Question number one. And that just sparked him, I, I think, put him over the edge if he wasn't already there. Hey, you know, one thing I was just thinking about there, Greg, was and I'll pose this to all three of you down there is that. When I drove for Kyle Busch. I had, he was my boss. I saw what he is in person, what he is behind closed doors, and what he is in a race car and what you see in the interviews and what you see in the press room. And what I see throughout all this is I see Kyle Busch. He's authentic. And in a time when I think many people, or over the last couple of years, we talk about drivers that can be sterilized or held back or robots. When you see this out of Kyle Busch, you know that is Kyle Busch. This is authentic Kyle Busch. And therefore, I think this is what, you know, I'm going to pose this question to you guys. That's what we want. We want to see the authentic, real them. And, and Jeff, that might not be you, but that's the real him. Well, here's the problem, is that Kyle Busch is showing us who he is. He's showing us his emotion, and what we're telling him is he shouldn't, right? So we're, we're all sitting here debating this, and the fact that we're debating it is telling him he shouldn't do that. So now he's going to be a robot. That's telling, the problem. I'm That's the problem. I'm telling him that, he shouldn't belittle a reporter and throw a microphone and pick his nose in front of everyone. I'm not telling what? him not to be who he is. But, but, but <laughs> Carolyn, I'm on the camera to me there. You can't have it both ways. You can't say yeah. don't you be can't a robot. You can have it and, both ways. Well, you can have it if, if you only want polite. 
and you only want the answer that you want, then only give the question that you you should give. And that's not what journalists do. They ask the hard question. There's nothing wrong with that. I think if you're a professional reporter, you have to put feelings aside all the time. Okay, fine. No one's going to lose sleep over this, and we're all going to still like each other tomorrow, right? Is that is yes. that fair to say? Sure thing. Okay. All right, fine. We'll 100%. leave it there. We're still friends. We'll leave it there. All right, that's it for today's NASCAR America. Tomorrow we're going to have a special sit-down interview with Austin Dillon and Richard Childress on the team's big win at Charlotte. We'll see you then for that. Thanks again for watching. We'll be back tomorrow at 530 Eastern. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.